0: Well, good morning again. I want to begin this morning in a, in a sober way. And I want to talk to you about one of the great dangers to your soul. One of the great dangers to your soul. Jesus taught us that nothing is more important than our soul. Matthew 16, and verse 26 he says for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul or what shall a man give in return for his soul If we lose our soul we lose everything No profit is worthy of the value of a single soul the world and the whole world cannot compare to our soul. And so it's better to keep your soul and lose the world than to keep the world and lose your soul. We just sang about it, right? I'd rather have Jesus than anything that this world affords today. And we all know that this is true. At least I would, I would guess that we all know that it's true. But the, the knowledge of it isn't enough. You see, people lose their souls every day for much less than the whole world. For example, the rich young ruler would not come to Jesus because of a love for the world. He would not forsake his possessions. You remember that story in, uh, I think it's in Luke chapter 19, Matthew chapter 19. He would not part with his little part of the world, not even for eternal life. Do you remember the man named Demas? In Philemon, verse 24, Paul called him my fellow worker. Along with Mark and Aristarchus and Luke, Demas was my fellow worker in 61 A.D. In Colossians 4 and 14, Paul says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you and does Demas. That was 61 A.D., But six years later, we hear this about Demas. Second Timothy 410 says, for Demas in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas forsook Paul. He says, having loved this present world, he loved the present age. And so he deserted Paul. What a sad testimony. And we never hear from Demas again. We never hear another word about Demas in the New Testament. Love for the world will keep you from coming to Christ, and it will make you turn from seeming to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, if you asked Paul about Demas in 61 AD, he would have said, he's my fellow worker. He's a partner in the gospel, almost more than a brother. But only six years later, he departed me, he deserted, he forsook me, he abandoned me. And it seems to me that Demas also abandoned Christ. He loved the world. Why don't we, why don't we turn with me to 1 John chapter 2 as we just kind of begin this morning. And I, I want you to think about just the importance of the things that we've been talking about for the last Number of weeks. First John 2.15. Sometimes it's helpful just to see it with your own eyes. Look at, look at it there. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We're commanded here not to love the world, and we're warned that love for the world means no love for God. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The world is the evil world system kind of backed by Satan. The the world is the anti-God, anti-holiness, anti-Christ philosophy of society. And we're not to love that because it's contrary to God. But John also specifically says, do not love the things in the world. Love for the things of the world is one of the greatest threats to our soul. And I think we could include it with, include loving the things in the world with what Peter calls in 1 Peter two eleven. he says, the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Even as a believer, one who is secure in Christ, there's a a war for our souls. Not one where you're going to lose your soul, but one which will test whether you're a true believer or not. There's a war for every genuine believer against the flesh and the world and the devil. And it's a war to undermine our usefulness in the kingdom. It's a war to reduce our worship and to keep us from glorifying God in the world. It's a war, we could say, to keep us from laying up treasures in heaven. And so we need to beware of the world and the love of the things in the world. That love will keep us from coming to Christ if you're not a believer. And that love will keep us from living for Christ If you are one, now I want you to turn with me to Matthew, and we're gonna we're gonna get to Matthew six here in a moment, which is where we've been the last number of weeks. But on the way there, I want you to look at Matthew chapter thirteen. And as we kind of turn here, I'm assuming that you you know the parable of the soils, and uh, and if you don't know this parable, you should you should maybe take some time to look at it this afternoon. But this parable of the soil is really a, a key parable. And in Matthew 13:22, Jesus warned about the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choking the word, making it unfruitful. Look at that verse there. He says, "As for what was amongst, as for what was sown among thorns." This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And so there's this picture of the the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choking the word, making it unfruitful. And and in that context, it refers here to an unbeliever consumed with the world, but at the same time claiming to be a Christian Christian. And so what a picture this is, the the cares of the world are are choking out the word of God like thorns choke out any good seed planted in the the midst of them. If you plant good seed in the midst of thorns, it's not getting the the light that it needs. It's not getting the nutrients that it needs and the the seed can't grow. And so this is a picture then of the Christian or of the professing Christian who loves this world but is unable to bear any fruit because of the, the influence of the world in their lives. We can't proceed in the Christian life when our energy and our time goes towards the world rather than towards God. And so we begin this morning with a warning, beware of the world, beware of the cares of the world, the worries of the world, and beware of the deceitfulness of riches, and those are the very things that our Lord's been telling us about in Matthew chapter 6 verses 19 to 32. If you're visiting with us this morning, we've been the last five or six weeks in Matthew sixteen, nineteen 19 to, to 32. We're going to kind of finish this section up to verse 34 this morning. But Jesus told us in that context not to lay up treasures on earth. Our hearts and our treasures, he tells us, if we're his disciples are to be in heaven. Our devotion and our love and our service should be for God, not for money. <clears throat> Worldly riches try to deceive us from living for God and, and, and really try to deceive us into living for money in for for wealth they deceive us into trying to pursue them or finding our identity in them or or taking refuge in them and seeking our joy in them the deceitfulness of riches but also the lord warned about the cares of the world when he told us not to be anxious about our lives. And so we see both kind of parts of this in the section that we've been dealing with, the the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of the world. We're not to be anxious about our lives. And we're coming now to the final two verses of this section on the Christian's relationship to money and possessions. And so let's just read this whole context one more time. I want to start from Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 Let's look at this again. The Lord says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. In this section, we looked at the command the first time, do not lay up treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Then we spent another Sunday looking at what Scripture says about heaven. And we spent a third Sunday just looking at this whole doctrine of reward. And we saw that whatever we do or whatever we suffer for Jesus' sake will be rewarded in heaven with eternal treasure that will never fail. Temporary service and temporary sacrifice in this life will result in eternal satisfaction in heaven. Even the smallest thing we saw would be rewarded, the smallest deed that we do. And then we looked at verses 22 to 24 and we saw that there was, we, we saw there that our eye is to be single. Our eye is to be healthy. We're to be focused on God and not focused on the world. And the illustration of the eye was another way to say what what we saw in verses 20, in verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This whole section is really about our treasure. Do we treasure God or do we treasure the world? Verse 24 kind of took us even further into this whole thing. We cannot serve God in money. God and money, and, and remember that word money literally meant, was literally mammon, it means wealth and property and possessions. God and mammon, both they both in a sense they want to be our God, but we can only serve one, we can only love one, we can only be devoted to one, we can only have one God, and it's either going to be God or wealth, property, and possessions. Our fifth message in this section looked at verses 25 to 32, and we saw five reasons not to be anxious. There is more to life than food and clothing. God is our Father, and we're more valuable than the birds that He feeds. Thirdly, we saw that worry doesn't do anything anyways. Fourth, we saw that God clothes the flowers that are are burned with fire, and then he He will clothe us. And fifthly, we saw that the Gentiles are the ones who should worry. Not us who know the one true God as our Father. And today we're going to look at the conclusion to this whole thing in verses 33 and 34. But before we do, I think we need to ask ourselves an important question or really an important series of questions here. How have we applied what we learned so far? What have you done And what have I done? What have we done to obey these commands? Is there a greater focus on God and his kingdom? Have you committed yourself or recommitted yourself to serve him and serve him alone? Is heaven more on your mind than it was seven weeks ago? Are you trusting God more as you think about the reasons not to be anxious? I think these are important questions to consider. You know, it's, it's easy to listen to sermons. I, at least, I think it's easy. I hope it's easy to listen to sermons. But it's easy to listen to them and, and just judge the content and the delivery. And in a sense, it's, it's easy enough for me to just kind of come up here and, and preach sermons. I can understand the passage and study the passage and make an outline and, and preach truth without it impacting my life and without it impacting your life. That's not what the the goal of this whole thing is. The, The goal is for the Word of God to grip us and grip our hearts and our minds and change us and transform our lives. The truth of the Word should rebuke us and correct us and convince us and change our minds and change our lives. We should say, I've been, I've been living for this world. I've been choked with cares. I've been deceived by riches. I've been trying to serve two masters. I've been sinfully anxious. I've been disobedient to the Lord's directions in this passage. And I'll stop being anxious. I'm going to stop laying up treasures on earth. And I'm going to start trusting God. And I'm going to begin to focus on heaven. At least if, if those things have been true in your life. Maybe this section has encouraged you. Maybe, maybe, and that's wonderful. It's, you might say, I'm on the, I'm on the right track. I'm going to keep going in, in what I've been doing. And that's, that's great if that's the case. But God's word should impact our minds so that we think according to God's truth. And what we think will impact our affections. It'll impact what we love and what we hate. And our affections then impact our wills, what we do. And so what we think and what we feel and what we do, it kind of goes in that order. We should, our thinking and then our our affections and then our our wills and we do something different in our lives. That's the way that that this whole thing should be working. And so I just ask as we even just kind of begin to look at this passage, are you, and, and you should ask yourself this honestly, and I've been asking myself honestly this week, am I... Thinking differently about God, money, possessions, and the world. Am I feeling differently about them? Have my value, have, have your values changed? Are you doing anything differently? That's again the goal of our time together. Nothing, nothing encourages me more than to hear that, that you are changing and, and God is changing your life as a result of our time in, in his word. And I'm asking about this today because there's a, a danger of just listening to these things but not really putting them into practice. There's a danger. The world really is a spiritual danger. It kept, again, that kept the rich young ruler from coming to Christ it kept the seed planted in the thorns from bearing fruit it caused demas and it caused judas to leave the path of righteousness and even in this sermon jesus warned about not heeding his words look at matthew 7 and verse 24 and we'll get to this eventually but it's the concluding section of this sermon matthew 7:24 Jesus says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Everyone who hears these words and does them, that'll be the wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Just before that in verse 21, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There will be people who call Jesus Lord and who hear his words, but don't do them. They don't obey his teaching. They just, they just listen to it. They're workers of lawlessness, he says. But, but even more to the point, they do not do the will of the Father. Now, salvation, we know, is it's not earned by our deeds. But our deeds will show that if we're, if we're truly saved... Jesus said just even a little bit before that, Matthew 7 and verse 13, look at that. He says, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. And so I wanted to start with this bit of a warning because I don't want anyone here to be one of the many who go to destruction. I don't want any of you to think that, that you're a believer when and that you're on the path of life, but you're really on the broad path to destruction, But but you're really one who's never really turned to God. I don't want anyone here to be one who continued to love the world and the love of the Father is not in them. And so we need to think about how are we applying, how are we listening, how are we obeying and doing these words that the Lord spoke to us. <clears throat> and so with that warning, let's look at our our passage for today. It's the conclusion of this whole section. Verses 3, 33 and 34 of chapter 6 bring this whole teaching on wealth and possessions and anxiety about the world to a conclusion. And so I, I called it two crucial conclusions to the Lord's teaching on possessions. Two crucial conclusions to the Lord's teaching on possessions. And these verses really summarize everything that came before and and even bring it a little bit further. And so Jesus concludes first by telling us what to seek after. That's number one in the outline. What to seek after. Jesus concludes and he tells us, what to seek after. He says in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. This is in contrast to what the Gentiles seek. The pagan nations, they didn't know God and and their worldview meant that their food and their clothing was entirely up to them. If they were going to eat or drink or find shelter, it was really, it was up to them. And so seven days a week, they sought after what they would eat and what they would drink and what they would wear. They were worried and anxious about it all the time. They were constantly concerned about what they would eat or what they would wear. We, on the other hand, are not to be worried about, about those things. We're to be worried or concerned about something else. Our concern lies in another direction. We seek something else. We're to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now notice there that it says that we seek it first, but seek first. First could mean first in order, first in a, in a sequence of things, as, as in seek first the kingdom and righteousness, and then after that seek food and clothing and something else. Kind of like, you know, first seek the, the kingdom, then secondly seek whatever else. But that's not the meaning of this here. This means first in priority, not, not first in order of sequence, but first in priority. It means that, that this is our ultimate priority. That's the idea of first here. This is something that's to be our ultimate priority, first on a scale of importance in our life. If you could put the priorities of life on a list in order of importance, if you, you know, just think about what's important in my life. In the order of importance, what Jesus is saying here is that the kingdom and the righteousness of God would be on the top of that list. They would be first on that list. And the idea is then is above all, above the rest. And this is quite a statement then, isn't it? The seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And if you just think about that, think about your life, what would you say is your first priority when you think about your life? What do you seek first? What's your first concern? The word seek, by the way, means to strive for, to aim at, to try to obtain or to desire. And the idea is of of devoting serious effort to realize one's desire or one's objective. And so we could ask, what is your first desire? What is your first aim? What, what do you want in life? The Gentiles, they wanted earthly security, right? They wanted food and clothing and, and comfort in this world. But our aim is to be much higher we should want, we should desire, we should be aiming at the kingdom and the righteousness of God. Now, just a quick, hopefully quick, textual note here. There's a, a, a slight textual issue, and I, I don't know what translation, I didn't really look which translations have what, but two of the oldest manuscripts that we have just simply have the kingdom and the righteousness of him. And so we would probably translate that his kingdom and his righteousness. In other words, of God is not found in those two early manuscripts. But other manuscripts, more recent manuscripts, have of God. And so they, they have the kingdom of God and the righteousness of him, or the, the, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, there's a, a bit of a mix after those first two early ones. There, there's a, some of them have it in different orders and stuff. Some of them have, instead of the kingdom of God, they have the kingdom of heaven. But it's probably more likely that those oldest manuscripts are the ones that, that don't have of God are, are the original. And that a scribe added of God because they're used to writing after the kingdom. Usually you have the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. I think it was less likely that the, the oldest manuscripts left of God out, but the later ones kind of put them back. And so um, of God is probably not in the, the best manuscripts. It's, it's probably not in the original. But whether or not it has of God, it, it's really speaking of the same kingdom. It doesn't really make any difference in what is there. So we've talked about the kingdom before. Seek first the kingdom. The kingdom will begin when Christ returns and reigns over the earth from Jerusalem in fulfillment of the Abrahamic and Davidic covenants. The kingdom will begin as a a 1000-year reign and um the, sorry, the kingdom will begin as a 1000-year reign which will then be handed over to the Father to continue forever in the new heavens and the new earth. But if you remember when we when we talked about the kingdom program, we we also talked about That there's a sense in which the kingdom is happening now. At least the kingdom program is happening now. People are added to the kingdom or people are transferred into the kingdom now. When one is born again, he becomes a son of the kingdom. People who are saved are said to have entered into the kingdom. And it's surely this present kingdom sense that Jesus has in mind here. This whole sermon has been describing the kind of person who will enter the kingdom of heaven. To aim at the kingdom then would be to aim at, first of all, would be to aim at entering the kingdom. It would also mean something like live out your kingdom citizenship in such a way that others see and give glory to your Father in heaven. But no matter how one interprets or understands the kingdom, they, they end up agreeing. Everyone ends up agreeing in principle that the kingdom is to be sought in the present by living righteously, by living holy lives. And this fits then with what Paul said in Romans fourteen seventeen. He said, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Then in verse 18, he adds, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Now, let's go back to that parable in Matthew chapter 13. And I want you to look at verse 18. Just as we think about what is this to seek the kingdom of God or to seek his kingdom. Matthew 13 18 is the explanation of the parable of the sower. Verse 18 says, Hear then the parable of the sower. And Jesus calls the, the seed the word of the kingdom. Look at verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it. The message of the kingdom is, is basically the message of the gospel. And so the way to seek first the kingdom is to live by the, the life-changing message of the gospel and then to proclaim that message to others. And so our, our goal is to see people truly saved so that their lives bear fruit. Let's just read this, this whole section on this parable, verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes. And snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for that what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world... And the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. And so we could ask, how do we seek first the kingdom? Well, I think this is as good a place as any to show what it looks like. We preach the word of the kingdom. We, we preach the gospel. We, we proclaim the gospel. And we, we, when we do that, we look for the result of verse 23. We want to understand God's word in such a way that we are supernaturally transformed. Or we could maybe say it this way. We want to, we want to understand and hear the word such that Satan doesn't snatch it from our heart. Or the, the comforts of the world, or, or we could say the, the, the flesh doesn't kind of make us live for comfort instead of living for the Lord. Remember that one that was, that was in the, in the rocky soil? They, they ran away when persecution and tribulation came from the word. They, they immediately fell away. And so there's a, a, a way that we hear the word where we overcome Satan. There's a way that we hear the word where we overcome the, the comforts and desires of the flesh. And there's a way that we hear the word when we overcome the temptations of the world. And so that's what we're seeking when we seek first the kingdom, to first have that in our own lives so that we seek the kingdom and, and, and we hear the word in such a way that it changes our lives. And we overcome those three great enemies of our soul, the word, the world, the flesh, and the evil one. So to seek first the kingdom means to hear and understand the word so that it bears fruit in my life. And then also to to live for Jesus' sake so that that message goes out through me to others. And we do this together really as a local church. This is what our goal is as a local church. We, we do the work of the kingdom. We seek the kingdom. And, and, and the work of the kingdom goes hand in hand with the work of the local church where the message of God is proclaimed. And we, we try to help one another live according to what God tells us to live in the gospel. So that's the to seek first the kingdom. And so now let's go on to seek first His righteousness. We seek first His kingdom, now we seek first His righteousness. And these two really go together. Now, when it says His kingdom, or sorry, when it says His righteousness, that word His refers back to the Father, the Heavenly Father from verse 32. We're talking about the righteousness that either belongs to our Heavenly Father or to seek the righteousness that comes from our Father. That's the idea of His righteousness. It either, it either belongs to our Father or it comes from our Father. And I think what we see is that really both of those are true. In this sermon, those two things come together. The, the righteousness that we've seen time and time again in this sermon comes from our Father. It's a, a gift that our Father gives to us, but it's also the kind of righteousness that our Father has. It's the kind of righteousness that belongs to Him. Remember Matthew 5 and verse 6 where it said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness is really the same idea as seeking first His righteousness. It's seeking to live the righteousness of God by the power of God. It's seeking first his righteousness. That's what we saw in Matthew 5 and verse 16 where Jesus says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. To let our light shine is to, to, to live righteously in this world such that people will recognize that our righteousness is some, not something that, that is a human righteousness, but this is something that God has done, and so they give glory to God when they see it. In Matthew five seventeen to verse 48, the, the righteousness that we are to have was the, a righteousness that exceeded that of the scribes and Pharisees. It was to be concerned to live righteously, not merely externally, but also internally in the desires and the thoughts of our heart. In verse 48 of Matthew 5, Jesus says, Therefore, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The righteousness of God, the the righteousness that God gives in our salvation is, is also patterned after the perfect righteousness and holiness of God. Ephesians 4.24 says that the new self is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so we're to seek first the righteousness of genuine salvation, we could say. The righteousness of genuine salvation. And we're to seek first to live as God calls us to live in this Sermon on the Mount. We're to seek to be who we have been saved to be, I think is the idea. I think that's that really kind of captures it. We're to seek to be who we've been saved to be. And that means that everything that we think and say and do is to be done for the glory of God. We're to be like God who is perfectly righteous, or if you prefer, we're to be like Jesus Christ who lived perfect righteousness as a man. And that's really then our aim, our goal, our desire in life. To seek first his kingdom and his righteousness means that, that first importance is given towards living righteously and serving others for Jesus' sake. It means first that I, I try to live how Jesus calls me to live, in terms of my character and who in terms of who I am, and also in terms of, of what I do in this life, in, in terms of what He has gifted me to do, in terms of serving Him. It has to do with being who I am and, and doing what he's called me to do. And it means that that comes first. That comes, that's my number one priority. To live for his kingdom, to see his gospel go forth, to be holy and to do what he's called me to do. That, that comes first in my life. And if if we do that, Jesus says, then all of these things will be added to you. And of course, these things there means food and clothing. Now, this seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness—it it doesn't mean that we quit our jobs. Righteousness includes working for a living. Righteousness includes raising our families and doing all those things that God has called us to do. But our thoughts and our our energies in, in those things we we. Our thoughts and our energies in those things that we're called to do should be kind of secondary to our our number one priority on His kingdom and His righteousness. And if we do that, God will give you what you need. God will give you what you need. Along with His kingdom and His righteousness, He He will provide our needs. And that leads then, number two, secondly... Jesus concludes by telling us what we're to, to leave alone. And so we saw what we were to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. And if we do that, all these things will be added to us. And now, number two, what to, what to leave alone. He says in verse 34, therefore, because of what I just said, because of everything that went before, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We're to seek after the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And we're to do that continually, by the way. That's a present tense. Seek first, continually, habitually seek the kingdom of God and and His righteousness. But as we do that, we leave anxiety behind. We're to, to leave anxiety alone. This is the third time in this section that Jesus says, do not be anxious. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, Do not be anxious about your life. Verse 31, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? And now in verse 34, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Therefore, in verse 25, points to the fact that God is your master, so don't be worried about your life. Therefore, in verse 31 is because God feeds the birds and because he clothes the grass and because worry doesn't help anyways, don't be anxious. And therefore, in our text is because Jesus has promised that all these things would be added to us when we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Therefore, do not be anxious. We're not to be anxious about our life, verse 25. We're not to be anxious saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? Verse 31. And now we're not to be anxious about tomorrow. And this seems to kind of broaden it out beyond just eating and drinking and clothing and shelter. We're not to be anxious about anything. And instead, we're to trust our lives to the Lord. We seek his kingdom and his righteousness. We serve him and he will care for us and provide for us. He will bring us through this wicked world to his heaven. And when we think about anxiety, I I think we could see that a lot of anxiety could be put into this category of anxiety about tomorrow. We often worry and concern ourselves over not actual troubles, not actual problems that are happening, but uh, about potential problems, right? You ever, you, you think about tomorrow problems that haven't even happened yet, we think, what if this happens? Or what if, what if that happens? What if, what if this or that? Or what about, you know, could, anything could happen? What, what about it? And we start to be anxious over future things that haven't even happened yet. John MacArthur said that it seems some people are so committed to worrying that if they cannot find anything in the present to worry about, they think about possible problems in the future. I know that I've done that before, and that, that's what Jesus is saying. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't be anxious about it. Instead, we're, be, we're to be so committed to God that we see our problems as His problems. And that's a wonderful place to be, where my problem is, what are you going to do about that, Lord? Because, you know, it's really your problem. Everything that I own, everything that I am is yours. And so I'm going to just hand you a problem today, Father, because I, I've got this problem that's come into my life and it's your problem. And so let's see how you're going to fix this. And, and that's a wonderful place to be. Jesus says, tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Tomorrow doesn't need your help worrying. It's anxious enough and the, and the picture here then is is kind of a, a humorous picture of of tomorrow as a, a person and, and and this person tomorrow is is worried and fretting and their stomach is churning and they're they're pacing the floor. It's a humorous picture that tomorrow will will worry about itself. You, you can let tomorrow do all the worrying for you. You have other concerns. You focus on the time that is now. That's what the Lord is saying here. Focus on the present. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. When we're worried, our minds aren't fully focused on what's actually happening here and now. And Jesus wants us to deal with each day's trouble. And that's enough for us. We don't have to add what's happening tomorrow. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And that statement there also reminds us that these promises that we've been looking at don't guarantee us a trouble-free life. God will care for us through this world, but we will have troubles and trials, but we don't need to be anxious about them. Jesus concludes this section on possessions by telling us to leave anxiety alone. Do not be anxious. Don't be concerned about tomorrow. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't plan, and it doesn't mean that we don't prepare. It means that we don't worry. Do not be anxious. Instead, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I began this morning by talking about the dangers of the world. What Jesus lays out in these two verses that we looked at today is the the key to overcoming the world. The world. The only way to really overcome the world is through a love for God that pushes out other loves. To seek first the kingdom, you must first enter the kingdom by repentance and faith. And so if you're here this morning and, and you aren't in the kingdom, you aren't born again, you aren't saved, I would call you to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in him. This is the the place to start. If you would get rid of anxiety and, and really live for God in this world, you need to turn away from your sin and trust Jesus Christ to save your soul from hell. And so I would urge you to repent and believe. And if you don't know or understand the gospel, I would say, come and talk to me after the service and I'd be happy to share the message of salvation with you. And so to seek first the kingdom, you first must enter that kingdom And then our first priority is to be righteous, to be holy, to be like Christ, and to participate in God's kingdom program by reaching others for Christ and helping them to grow in their faith. That's what we're called to do in this passage, to seek the righteousness that God calls us to in this passage, and to seek to build his kingdom by preaching the gospel and by serving one another so that they can grow in their faith. And these things, these are not just options. These are not just options for spiritually minded people. These are commandments for each and every one of us who are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for this warning that you give us. We thank you for this call and this direction that you give us that to seek your kingdom and your righteousness and everything else will be added. We thank you that we don't have to worry because we can trust you. We thank you for your salvation that you give us. We thank you for the, the love for you that you give us when you open our eyes in saving us. And we thank you that we can just live and focus on you and we don't have to worry about anything else. We pray you would help us to do that very thing for your honor and glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.